we say it with the right heart, but we get so intent on sharing an answer, we forget just to be human. We forget just to stop and actually weep with those who are weeping. Welcome to Biblical Counseling in Action. I'm Steve Byers, and this is a podcast that addresses questions like, how do these principles penetrate every facet of local church ministry? What does it look like when biblical counseling starts to impact the youth ministry, or our ladies' Bible studies, or our men's ministries, or the way leaders function together, or the way decisions are made in the church? And what does it look like in the lives of everyday church members who have been trained, or maybe who have been counseled, but now they're continuing to live out these principles in everyday life? That's what this podcast is all about. Welcome back to Biblical Counseling in Action. Today we're joined by my friend, Pastor Kevin Carson, and Kevin is the pastor of Sunrise Baptist Church in Ozark, Missouri. He's also the department chair of Biblical Counseling at the Baptist Bible College and Theological Seminary in Springfield, Missouri. Kevin and I have been friends for a long, long time, and that's one of the things I love about being part of the biblical counseling movement. You just meet so many godly women, so many godly men, and over time you serve at conferences and events, and you learn from one another, and you just have the privilege of becoming friends with one another. And Kevin, I appreciate the way you've served at our biblical counseling training conference, teaching for all of these years, and also teaching at Faith Bible Seminary. And so you served people who are very important to me for so very, very long and been such a blessing to my wife, Chris, and me. Can you tell our listeners just a little bit about the ministry that God has given you? Sure. It's been a blessing to be part of this team. I've told you that more than once. Yep. It's God has blessed your ministry and God's blessed your seminary on many different levels. And when I was a real, what I would say, a young kid, you trusted me to start helping. <laughs> I still say I'm young, see? So, yeah, so even as a young man, I've been helping for a long time. How long has it been? I would say probably around 2000, maybe 2002 in that range. So 20 years. Yes, probably so. <laughs> Back when we were both yeah. just lads. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, I hate to wow. say it. So it's been a while, and, and you and Randy Patton... Of course, Randy was here then pretty much full-time on Mondays, and mm. you and Randy showed me great kindness through David Pallison, and it's been a blessing ever since then. So I get this privilege of serving Christ at Sunrise and have been a church planner. We started that in 2002, mm-hmm. so that's 20 years this year, and you recently were there, and we were grateful for. Plus, I'm at Baptist Bible College and have been there since 1999. We have a bachelor's degree in biblical counseling as well as a master's degree and so it was in the process of Baptist Bible College where I first met David Pallison and started school at Westminster. BBC asked me to come and start a biblical counseling program. Hmm. And so when I was first called there, they are the ones that suggested, if you're going to come here, we need to send you to get the best education you can, and that's through Westminster and CCEF. So I've been in the track of learning from them, and I know you were there as well, and that was just great friendships. And then Pallison said, hey, you've got to meet Steve, and mm. you need to be introduced to faith because you are a bunch of independent Baptists. So <laughs> back in the day, we were a small group, I think. And so he sent me your direction, and, and we've been, as you said, we've been friends ever since. You know, it's amazing how many of us have been impacted by David Pallison's mm. life and ministry. Of course, David went to be with the Lord about a year or so ago, and just the other day, I had an email pop up from his dear widow, Nan, Mm. and apparently they're in the process of 
publishing a book that David had written just prior to his death. And it was just so surreal to get an email from her about David and just to be just a flood of emotions oh, sure. of just being reminded of all the ways David impacted me and you. And I don't know that there's a person in the biblical counseling movement that, that wouldn't say that. Sure. He was a friend to many of us. And you shared Bill Pyatt with us back in the day. And we've been grateful for him <laughs> and Marianne. Right. They were part of this ministry and have been with us now for 17 years, I think. A dear people. Oh, very dear. And he's an ACBC fellow. And, and of course, Dr. Bob Smith and Charlie Hodges, they've both been over in our area and helped us many times and became dear friends as well. You know, Kevin, there's so many things that we could talk about that I think would be beneficial to our listeners. But A.W. Tozer said, it's doubtful whether God can bless a man greatly until he's hurt him deeply. And I know that you and Kelly went through a very difficult, difficult time in your life. And I believe it would be helpful to me just to learn more about that, learn how to better serve persons who are going through a similar struggle. And I'm almost positive that all of our listeners would say the exact same thing. So I know this is not an easy story to tell. It's a very difficult time of your life. But would you mind telling us about this particular trial with your baby and then talk to us about how God sustains you. Sure. And just to pick up the uh, last conversation as we get there, it's through this event that God put us in contact with biblical counseling. Our baby died, which I'll tell you that story. But in the process of our baby being sick, the seminary had president had heard about it and had been praying for us and wanted to make a transition into biblical counseling. And it was this event. He actually visited me at the hospital and said, hey, I have a job I want you to consider. Bad timing, bad situation. Uh, <laughs> I didn't but I know want that. you to consider this. And so it was through the death of Kayla that ultimately we were invited to be a professor. And, and David Pallison and Paul Tripp became my counselors in those early days and was very gracious to Kelly and myself both. I did not know that. That is really amazing how the Lord put all that together. It is. I often say I did not choose biblical counseling. Biblical counseling chose me. And so it was wow. a tough time of life, as you mentioned. It was. We were married in 1994 and had essentially decided with our premarital counseling, it'd be good to wait a few years before we had our first baby. And in the process, Kelly did eventually get pregnant. And when she did, everything was going well. And this was pre-cell phones and pre-good technology. So we go to the doctor and we get this first ultrasound. And the doctor said, you know, something doesn't look right. And we're not sure what this is. Maybe, you're ha maybe you've had twins and you've lost one. We're just not sure. Mm -hmm. So they sent us to a, a specialist. And the specialist said, no, what has happened? Your wife has a tumor of the placenta. And because of that, it's going to create difficulties for the baby. Mm -hmm. And this good doctor laid out all of the options as she perceived it. At this week, we think this will happen at this week. And it really followed the path that she pointed us to. I was in Tennessee for my granddad's open heart surgery, and my wife was doing a, leading a ladies' Bible study at our church. And while she was there, she started having contractions. And so she was just marking it on her paper while she taught no. every contraction that she had. Yes. <laughs> no. We're talking 25 weeks, so right, way too early to have a baby. And her body, essentially with the tumor, the body just thought she was much more advanced. And so she went to the hospital. They contacted me. It was a wild story, just getting a hold of me. Hmm. They contacted me in Tennessee. I caught a flight as quick as I could back to Springfield. And, and she was in the intensive care for a while, and then eventually the baby was born. And when she was born, she was pretty sick. 
Kayla is was just a sweet little baby, but when she was born, because the tumor brings more blood into the placenta, Kayla's heart couldn't work with all of that extra blood, and so it produced a lot of swelling. Hmm. So she was born about a pound overweight for a small baby, and it just compromised her immune system. And she did well for several weeks, and then in the process, actually got an infection. It attacked her kidney, and that is basically what eventually killed her because she couldn't do anything with the... When your kidney malfunctions at that age, there's just nothing they can do about it. So, Was that what the doctor had predicted would happen? The doctor predicted she would be born sick. Mm-hmm. So the doctor didn't say everything that would be sick about her, hmm. but it just depend how long that she could stay in, how long Kelly's body would continue to help her grow. And we had great care. We had good doctors. They were really on our side. The day the doctor told us, there's nothing more we can do for your daughter, one of the doctors came in, and, and she sat us in a room and started talking to us, and she could hardly even keep her composure. She cried through the whole thing and said, mm-hmm. I've loved your daughter, and I've tried my best for your daughter. It was really a sweet time. Mm-hmm. And that then, is a sweet time. Yes, you don't expect that from just the doctor. And she was very kind and very gentle and... It was tough as a husband, for sure, walking through it. And, you know, I think it was difficult. The death was difficult, for sure, on Kelly. And I think the most difficult day was carrying her casket. Mm. Just, I think that was the most difficult day for me. Just that's not something you would ever imagine. Mm. You know? How old was Kayla when she passed away? She was a month old. A month old. Yes. Mm. Wow, I can't imagine what it would be like to carry that casket. Yeah, just a little shoebox size casket and... And the day that of her funeral, it was raining. It was an outdoor funeral because back then they didn't do any indoor services really for children, and and it was raining. And I remember driving over to the cemetery. That was just such a burden on Kelly. You know, hmm. all of these bad things, and you know, all the it's the, when the straw breaks the camel's back. Hmm. All these negative things. Then as we drive over, that's where it starts to rain, and it's just like the straw that broke the camel's back. Like yeah. this is so difficult. Hmm. How did God sustain you during those days? I think he did. He sustained us in several ways. I think one is having good family that helped us. Mm -hmm. My dad has been a pastor for years. He and mom and Kelly's family, all of them, my twin brother, who now pastors with us, really they were a great blessing to us. I was in a pastor in a church and had a senior adult ministry. There were a couple hundred senior adults. They were so loving to us Mm -hmm. in those days. The body of Christ really was kind. It was a first baby. I think that makes it especially hard. Hmm. And they had been so excited about it and yeah. were looking forward to it as a church. Mm-hmm. Right? You get when you're 25 and you're leading a senior adult ministry, right? You're the kid of everybody. <laughs> of course. And so when we lost the baby, it's like they all lost hmm. something. It was a precious time for us in that particular ministry then. So I think that did it. I think God was kind. As I mentioned, I started Westminster. Really, Paul Tripp and David Pallison took special interest in Kelly. She would travel with me to Westminster when we would go, Mm -hmm. and they just spent some time with her, took her out. We went to lunch some, and and just some good conversations, I think, that were very helpful, just kind of help. When we didn't understand sanctification, really, I mean, I was in school to try to figure it out, and I'd grown up in a pastor's home and all those things, but the biblical counseling movement was pretty new then. Mm -hmm. 
and David wasn't too many years out of just figuring out the whole heart chart and mm-hmm. trying to think through how we reason mm-hmm. through sanctification. And so just hearing those things and trying to put them all together and think through it, it was helpful when we talked with Paul and David. How long was it from after Kayla passed away to when you enrolled in Westminster? About three months. Oh, really? Oh, it was fresh. Yeah, and I think, I don't know, I became great friends with David and Paul, and I'm not sure that, that this isn't, that they saw this young kid yeah. in the middle of his own struggle, that it, that isn't what opened the door to that friendship. Well, and it's also just the hand of God's grace mm-hmm. upon you. I mean, what is the likelihood that someone grieving the way you were as a couple would have the opportunity to interact with David Paulison and Paul Tripp yeah, that very, soon after it had happened? <laughs> very small, right. And Ed Welch, of course, came mm-hmm. alongside during the process. But yeah, who would have ever guessed? They became dear friends, no doubt. I'm so glad that Kelly was able to travel with you when mm. you went out to get that training, too, so she could have the opportunity. So it wasn't just a matter of you hearing things and bringing it back home, but she was able to interact with them personally. Yeah, she could interact some with it, and it was a great blessing. And, you know, there's a unique thing. Sometimes we get in our own bubble, but in that, in, over those years, I was in a church that they did a conference at Saddleback, mm. and so they asked the pastors and staff wives if they would go. And Kelly was in a meeting with Rick Warren's wife that, again, everything was much smaller back then, but when she was in that meeting, that really blessed her Hmm. and gave her some tools that she did not have prior to that. And so that's one of those men that I've watched over the years, and sometimes he can take public heat, Hmm. and I always come back and think, no, there's some stuff he's done that was very helpful to me. That's interesting. When I couldn't help my wife in some ways. His wife did ministry to her, and that was a blessing too. You know, I, I know that even as a pastor, I've been doing this a long, long time, but I still feel inadequate in a situation, frankly, grieving, period, but certainly grieving at this kind of a loss. And I do the best I can, but I, I always walk away feeling like I wish I could do better. Can you equip me and us? What are some do's and don'ts? What are some truths that you think are helpful? How have you learned it, not just individually, but now in your pastoral ministry? Can you unpack some of that for us? Sure. I think, and I would be happy to. I think when you're initially engaged, I think Job's counselors, he's lost 10 children among everything else. I think his counselors are helpful. When they first were there and had a ministry of presence, Hmm. I think that was probably very helpful to Job. They came, they put the effort in to be there. You know, it says they had to talk with each other. They arranged a time. They went to see him. As soon as they saw him, they recognized his struggles. They sat with them. It wasn't until a week later when they heard him and they felt impressed to talk. That's when, the, when it went south for them. Uh-huh. But I think the idea of presence is critically important. Just as pastors, as brothers and sisters in Christ, just letting someone know, we are here for you. Hmm. As I mentioned, my family, our church family, they were so kind, our pastors at that time. They were just there. And it's not that they were saying anything. That's just the fact that they're when you need to talk, if you need something, whatever it is, we're here to walk this road with you. Hmm. So I think that's important. Listening, and I think also oh. just a matter of not what you're saying is, even if you don't know what to say... Just right. don't let the fact that you don't know exactly what to say prevent you from being present personally, if that's appropriate, because there's power even in that alone, even though it's silent. Is that what you're saying? Yes, absolutely. 
it's not in what you say. I think it's in who you are and the fact that they see you love them and that you care and that you're sad. It's literally Romans. Or you're weeping with those who weep. You're sad with them that this has happened. Hmm. You know, I'd use the word sad a lot when I'm around families. I don't say sorry a lot just because of the larger sense of theology and hmm. God's sovereignty. So it's kind of hard to say, I'm sorry this happened because in God's plan, Right, theologically, we yep. say, yeah, there's a lot of pieces here, so I don't want to move down that road. But to say I'm sad, I'm very sad. Mm-hmm. I'm sad that God's plan included this hurt and included this moment, and I know the days ahead are some are going to be good, some are going to be more difficult, and as you go through those, I know that path, and that's a tough path. And so it is. there is a sense of true sadness every time somebody loses a child or miscarriage or whatever level it is, because I realize there's a loss of dreams and there's going to be these moments when you wonder what God is teaching you, all those things in the future. So there is sadness. It's interesting also that you talk about your family. That's one thing about Facebook. We get to learn a little bit about one another's families, and I enjoy pictures that you post with your extended family where you're out fishing or just whatever. And so God has blessed you with a spiritual heritage, hasn't he? He has, and I think that was a a great help. In addition to the family, I think the church family is key because there's a lot of people at Faith here as well as at our church where they don't have that rich, deep level of families. And I think that's where the church family comes along. That's right. And sits with them, walks with them, tries to love them well. Hmm. So I think presence is important, listening, asking questions, and just letting somebody talk. Hmm. I think a problem that sometimes we have, we love answers. And so we hear something and we think, oh, I know just the passage for you. Interesting. This is so good. And it is good. And we say it with the right heart, but we get so intent on sharing an answer we forget just to be human. Hmm. We forget just to stop and actually weep with those who are weeping. It's not that we, we don't care, but sometimes we can get so quick to the answer that there are individuals who would say, you know what, it just seems like they, were, they wanted to talk more than they would just let me express what's going on in my own mind and just enjoy having someone saying, you know what, this is tough, and I understand that. That is interesting. So maybe... Even if we think we might know an answer, maybe it's not always best to share it in that particular moment of pain. Right. Be, be patient. Let it, let it continue moving. That's one of the things Pallison said years ago, David did. He said, it's not that somebody's always taking steps forward, but if we can see which direction their feet are pointing. Hmm. I think as biblical counselors, we like to see steps. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> and I like to fix stuff, right? right? Tell me the problem. I'll give you the solution. We'll get on with this. And that's a very interesting observation. Right. Motivated by love, right? Motivated mm-hmm. by a desire to honor the Lord, all the right motivations. But somebody can hear it and engage us and think that we're being less than kind hmm. just because we were quick with our answer versus just a little bit slower. Yeah, it reminds me of Proverbs 18. If a man answers the matter before he's heard mm-hmm. it, it's foolish and shameful. Yeah, just a, an interesting observation I've made. So as... We listen and pray. I think that's an, another element. It just doesn't hurt to put our hand on somebody's shoulder and say, can I pray for you? <laughs> and, and really, we're depending on the Spirit to pray for us yeah. in that moment. And, and I think even in our prayer, we're just praying, God, would you give comfort and help us know your presence and remind this person of your love? 
You know, I think, again, not as much answer-oriented as process-oriented, hmm. just keeping our focus on Christ as much as we can. And then along the way, we're going to find ways to serve. And, you know, there's plenty of opportunities. I know in the counseling world, when somebody comes in to talk with me, it's not uncommon for me to say, hey, did you bring some pictures? I've sat and we've cried. I remember one couple, I sat at their kitchen table and their son had just died of an aneurysm. So he was a younger teenager, died with a unique brain problem. And so I sit at their kitchen table and I said, oh, I hope you have some pictures you can show me. Hmm. And they pulled the pictures out and we probably sat there an hour. And hmm. I cried, I mean, I cried and cried with them as they cried. And they said, oh, this was a great day. And they'd tell me the story and we'd go to the next picture and we'd start the process over. But that's probably 10 or 12 years ago. And I still remember just in that moment, the sense of thinking, I'm doing the Lord's work here because I'm listening to my friends cry and think about their son. And I'm also, in, as a parent, I'm getting to participate when another parent says, oh, you need to know this about my child. Hmm. You need to know this about my child. You know how it is. You hmm. want to show the bass or you want to show the, <laughs> the special moment or the grandchild or his hair was like this for two years, and it was so funny. You know, you just want to have fun with that stuff. You know, that's a great observation, and I don't know that I've ever thought about that before, but asking persons to bring pictures or to bring out the pictures right. as just a natural way to tell stories and talk about the person who has passed away, yeah. that, that's solid gold. I appreciate it's, you saying that. It's sad, right, at some level, but fun, because you're really learning. Then for those of us who are also going to do a funeral, it really makes a funeral richer when you've heard that level of conversation or really around pictures and their memories and all of those types of things too. So it helps us along the way. Now, as you do that, you have to stay anchored. Your hope has to be in heaven. I mean, it. there has to be a solid sense of, I know how God treats people and that God never hurts us hmm with anything less than a loving touch, right? So we hurt, yes, but it's not because God's doing something to our harm. It's not because he's in heaven with a chip on his shoulder, right? You didn't deserve that your baby died. None of those things, right? This isn't a result of you or your sin. So I know these things about God, and I want to stay full of hope hmm. as I talk with this family. I want to listen to him, and I want to just sprinkle grace where I can. Hmm. Tell them, you know, I'm thankful we can trust God. And I recently just had somebody say, you know, I, I'm tired of people saying that my baby's in heaven. And I told them, but your baby is in heaven. <laughs> <laughs> I know you don't want to hear it. And maybe there are Christians who have said it quickly or said hmm. it without listening or it was like a Band-Aid. Well, at least they're in a better place. But what I'm telling you is, at least your baby's in a better place, hmm. right? This is not, it's not a light theology. That's an incredible thing hmm. that your baby got to skip all of the stuff we call life and got to go to heaven. Hmm. And I think that's a great blessing. You know, I've always thought of you as a very joyful person. We've been in all sorts of ministry situations over the years, and I do think of you as a joyful man. How have you been able to maintain that level hmm. of joy, even with this kind of sorrow? That's a good question. Initially, I think there's a couple of things. I had been in Ecclesiastes, had translated the book from Hebrew to English, and then 
had prepared lessons and then were in the process of teaching them when Kayla died. Hmm. And so I had a good sense of sovereignty as it was happening. So my mind was in a better place, I would say, than my wife's because she's not translating books. She's not thinking about every verse in Ecclesiastes. And so that helped me, and it just gave me a good foundation to start from. Hmm. And then as Kelly and I went through it together, I would try to tell her, there's a couple observations I made. One is you got to think of me, and sometimes it might be the woman and not the man, but in our circumstance, I said, you just have to think of a stovetop, right? When there's something burning in the front here, or not burning, but it's something on the burner, and that's something I'm thinking about, working on, contemplating, but you've got to know the death of our daughter simmering. Hmm. It's back there every day, and you can't be afraid to talk about it. We need to talk about it, and you just have to know I'll switch burners. Right. I'm happy to put this in the back and bring that to the front, but I just wanted her to know, because right, she had a much better sense of stovetops than I did, but just this is what, the way my mind works, it's back there. I might not be talking about it, but it's in there. Now I may hear a song, and it may make me pull over hmm. from being overwhelmed with Butterfly Kisses. I don't know if you remember that song hmm. back in the 90s, but it was real popular when she died, and that song, Stephen Curtis Chapman's song, Cinderella was another one that just powerful songs and you hear them and it would just make me stop, just overwhelmed with grief just because of the type of song it is. And so those things are there. And so I had to give Kelly, or I wanted to give Kelly permission, talk about it anytime because I can switch burners because I'm going to be project oriented. I'm going to be working on something. It won't be as maybe apparent as it is with you. And then the other observation I made is that I think when days begin to get lighter, when it doesn't seem as burdensome as it did, it was easy for maybe one or both of us to sense that when it begins to change, maybe you're being disloyal Mm -hmm. because you don't feel it as such a heavy burden anymore. Mm -hmm. And so I try to help people think through that to help them realize that as that changes you do not have to be overwhelmed hmm. with guilt because now today you actually went a couple hours and you smiled some hmm. or you didn't think about your loss because I think they can carry that as guilt. Hmm. I would say in the third one is just prepare for people to be stupid. Mm-hmm. And right, That's not a word we use very often, but I think people want to say what's right. They want to do what's right. And we have to assume that anybody that says something stupid to me, it's not because they meant to. Mm-hmm. They just weren't sure what to do, and it just tripped out and just didn't come out the way they wanted. So they did with Kelly, for sure. As I've talked to people over the years, they've said, man, that was the one piece of advice you gave that really was helpful. I just tell them, forgive on the front end. Hmm. Assume their motive is right. Whatever they said, just look over it and say, I will cover this with mercy. Mm -hmm. I mean, stuff like, well, did the doctor say you could have another baby? Hmm. It's a legitimate question. Right, so if you lose a baby, and that's a concern. So is there long-term implications of this tumor? Right, Those are the right kind of questions to be thinking. But the way you put it out, when your mother does, they don't say, you know, did the doctor say you could go find another mother? Hmm. Wow. Right, We would never, ever think about it mm-hmm. in that level. But with children, it's I don't know that I've ever talked to somebody when somebody hasn't asked them, well, what about the future? Can you have another baby? Hmm. And so that's a significant, in my mind, that's a significant place to help people to think before those things happen, 
that's covered in grace. And just know that they love you. They care for you. They're not trying to intentionally offend you. Hmm. The doctor told us, your baby has to pee. That's your prayer request. Pray one thing. Kidneys work and your baby needs to pee. <laughs> right? That's the prayer request. And that's what we told all of our senior adults. This is what it will take for her to live. Hmm. She's got to pee. And so because, and I explained it to him, she's at this weight, she needs to lose about half her weight hmm. just to get the water off of yeah. her. Well, we had this dear sweet lady, and she would come up every time she would see Kelly. She said, oh, tell me if the baby's gaining weight. Now, that's yeah. a typical question. Sure. Loving lady. It is. Oh, but boy, that was a burden on Kelly. And, Isn't that something? Right. She was asking the wrong question. So we just had to say, we're just going to forgive this lady. We know her heart. And when I'd see her coming, I'd send Kelly the other way, and I'd talk yeah. to her. Because it's certainly that wasn't a question that was being asked with malice. Oh, not at all. Not at all. Just not thoughtful. Yeah. That's very helpful. That's and we love the lady. Helpful. Have loved her for years, right? She's still alive and just a good lady. Just a bad question. Hmm. So we don't want those little things. You said, how do you maintain your joy? I think it's those kinds of things that can steal your joy. Yep, that's right. The daily burden stuff. Hmm. So God's blessed you with additional children now. Can you tell us about the family that God has given you? Sure. God's given us four more since then. And my son's 21, and he's in college and doing well. He's full-time work. And our daughter is 18. She's at Baptist Bible College as Hmm. well. She's studying to be a missionary. Another son is 16. He's still in high school, and then we have one that's 10. And so I think her death was unique for a couple reasons. Having children and talking to them about Kayla, Mm -hmm. and we going out to the cemetery, those kinds of things, it introduces eternity. It does. We could talk about eternity. And I think one of the things that blessed us is that our kids can think about Kayla and her death without the pain we do. Hmm. So they would say, right? So if we're at the cemetery, they would say, oh, just think, one day we're all going to be in heaven together. Yeah. And they have a whole different sense than the sting. Mm -hmm. They didn't feel the sting of death, but they can think about eternity, whereas we felt the sting of death. And so to hear their precious conversation without the sting of death has been very helpful to us. They think of her with eternity in mind versus the struggle we went through while she was living. Did you tell them about Kayla fairly early in their experience? So were they fairly young? We did. We would just bring up, it was just part of of daily life, or not daily, but annual, at least, where we would go by the cemetery. Kelly would keep the flowers fresh every season, and so the kids would just be with us in the journey. Sometimes they might want to bring a toy or bring some kind of stuff oh, to really? or a, something. A toy? And, yeah, just put it there on the, just like a flower. Like we would put yeah. flowers on a gravestone. They would maybe bring something, they'd see an angel or something somewhere, and they'd say, oh, let's get that, and we can take it to Kayla's grave. Hmm. So it really did become, it's part of our family dynamic, as weird as that may sound, that would you just make the cemetery part of it occasionally. It's interesting. I wouldn't have thought about that, but that helps your children have an immediate focus on eternity, doesn't mm-hmm. it? Yeah. It does. And I think you said, how does it help your joy? I've got one more thought there. It also, it changed me. Before her death, as a senior adult pastor, I was with many people who died. Hmm. We had a couple hundred senior adults, so it was sometimes once a week I was with somebody going into eternity. 
And I remember in those early days thinking, I know I should cry right now. Hmm. I know this is, this is so sad. Everybody around me is crying, and I feel like a spectator hmm. just because I loved them, cared for them, but I wasn't full of mercy. Hmm. And I'm not sure that God didn't, I'm, I'm sure God knew what I needed hmm. to help give me the pastor's heart. God knew what I needed to help show mercy. Now I can't hardly talk about it without crying and just thinking about people and mercy without tearing up. But there was a day that would have never been the typical. God has used it to change me. And I tell my children, God used her death to give you a better dad because I'm different. And I knew that God was working along the way. Hmm. Do I want to do that again? I don't. Hmm. Right? I think you can hate what happened but still rest in a God who allowed it. Yeah. Well, hey, I sure appreciate you taking the time to share this with me and share this with our listeners. This is powerful. And so thank you for being authentic and opening up your heart. And thank you for your friendship and all you do for all the people around faith and all of our different ministries. It's a privilege to serve together with you. Oh, it's good to be part of this team. I feel like it's a, this is really, I've stayed here. I told my wife, I figured it up one time. I've stayed in Lafayette more since we've been married. Outside of at home, this is the second place I've been the most. <laughs> so <laughs> I go into Homewood Suites and say, oh, look, I'm at my second house. So wow. it's a, it is a blessing. And it's been a long journey, as Eugene Peterson says, in the same direction together. Yeah. Yeah. And for that, I'm very grateful. Well, thank you very much. You can check out more about our ministry at faithlafayette.org. Or if you're interested in receiving biblical counseling training, go to faithlafayette.org slash conferences. You can find these presentations wherever you normally access your podcasts, and you could really help us just to get the word out by telling your friends on social media that these presentations are going to be available. Our hope and our prayer is that this podcast honors the Lord and is a blessing to you.